Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. He's an American icon who fought in World War II, gave you Martin Lewis, Martha Ray, George Goebel, Tennessee Ernie Ford, Andy Williams, Fried Green Tomatoes, Spinal Tap, The Princess Bride, The Short Thing, Stand By Me, The Declaration of Independence, People for the American Way, and a few TV shows. Maybe you've heard of a couple of these. All in the family, Sanford and Son, Maud, Good Times, The Jeffersons, Hot L, Baltimore, One Day at a Time, Mary Harmon, Mary Harmon, The Dumplings, All's Fair, All the Glitters, Burnwood Tonight, America Tonight, Different Strokes, The Facts of Life, The Baxters, Archie Bunker's Place, Silver Spoons, Glorious, Square Pegs, A.K.A. Pablo, Who's the Boss, 227, Sunday Dinner, The Powers of Beast, 704, Hauser, Channel Umpteen and Three, One Day at a Time on Netflix. All of the above with Norman Lear. It's all of the above with Norman Lear. another version of you. Hi, this is Norman Lear. I uh, am the fellow who does uh, All of the Above, the podcast, All of the Above with Norman Lear. I am that Norman Lear. Anyway, I did this uh, wonderful TV show with Charles Barkley, his TV show, which is called American Race. And we had a wonderful time talking about American Race. I'd love you to watch it and in, uh, invite you to do so. And now, in addition to all of that, I present to you this episode as the uh, next episode of All of the Above. Hey, everyone. It's former WWE host Lillian Garcia. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever wonder how your favorite stars make it to the big time? Then come check out my new show, Chasing Glory, with Lillian Garcia on PodcastOne.com. Hear me chat with some of your favorite athletes and entertainers about their rise to the top. It's about to get real, raw, and inspiring. So join me for new episodes every Monday on PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You know, Norman... Uh, yes, I know Norman. <laughs> I got I know Norman so well. <laughs> Norman, I've got a secret. There's something about True Car a lot of people don't know. Oh my God! Yeah. What can that be? What can that be? Well, using True Car can also help you buy a used car. In fact, there are over seven hundred thousand pre-owned vehicles available from True Car certified. Wait a minute, that's a big figure. Seven hundred thousand is a big, big figure. Huge figure. Seven hundred. Imagine seven hundred thousand people. I. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. I was with them this morning. They were all <laughs> buying used cars. Yeah, and they were buying them at, at truecar.com. Well, well, well. they, they have 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available from True Car certified dealers nationwide. Whether you're looking to buy a new car, a used car, you can get upfront pricing information that empowers discounts off the list price for used cars and a better buying experience through our True Car certified Holy dealer network. Mo- That's an awful lot they give you. This That's is it. Not. It's amazing. There are over 700,000 pre-owned vehicles available for True Car certified dealers nationwide. You'll see what other people paid for the car you want so you can know what a fair price is and feel confident. How about that? It's TrueCar.com. You'll see what other people paid for the car you want so you can know what the fair price is and feel confident. With True Car, you can connect with a local certified dealer of your choosing so you can enjoy a quick, easy buying experience. Ladies and gentlemen... TrueCar.com. Go there. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the new... 
Using True Car, you can easily find the new or used car you want. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. This is All of the Above with Norman Lear. So you're one of the most amazing people that I've met in my life, and I want to thank you. You just met me. You don't know, I know a that, fucking thing more than you the, just met no, me. No, well, let me tell you something. <laughs> can we say this? Yes, you can say anything <laughs> you want to. You've earned the rights to anything you want to. <laughs> okay. I you, love meeting you. Oh, uh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Now. You're one of the most, like, everybody grew up with your shows. Including me. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you think about the shows I grew up with, and we're talking about questions I want to ask you today. Right. We're all drawn to people who look like us. Right. So you start with the Jeffersons, you start with Sanford and Son, and then you go with Good Times. Like, those shows you watch religiously. Because I was just trying, I was asking somebody, I don't even remember what other shows were on television. <laughs> Like, uh, and I, I actually did not oh, think... Oh, you remember Archie Bunker. Yes, oh, yes. But I'm saying, those shows, you felt like it was somebody you knew, or they had something right. in common with you. But I was saying, I can't remember. I probably could. Uh, I think Starskin Hutch was on at that time. But like... Oh, there were a lot of great shows. Mary Tyler Moore was on. Dick Van Dyke was on. But I never watched those shows. shows. But I'm saying, you're drawn to shows that have people who look like you. Right. And, and that's why... It's so cool for me to meet you. First of all, everybody had a thing for Thelma. So uh, that's the first thing I remember. But everybody loves Red Fox, and everybody loved George Thelma Jefferson. was one of the most beautiful women ever to grace that little screen. Yes, she was. Ever. Now, I'm going to tell you about the biggest problem I ever had with Esther Roll. I don't remember whether John Amos was in on this as much as I... Uh, as he might have been, but uh, Thelma was so beautiful. I wanted to do at 15, 16 or something a, a show about boys hitting on her. <laughs> and the whole question of whether she sleeps with a boy that she thinks she loves or just talking about that. Yeah. Of course the show would come down against it. Yeah. But Esther Roll, the parents of N. John, they had a weight on them that I didn't have. They were the first people to be representing their race as parents, not yes. just, you know, but as parents, citizens, etc. And that was a heavy weight. So I learned that Esther had, she didn't understand that because that was like one of those unconscious things. Mm -hmm. She accepted the responsibility of representing her race in parentally on television. But she was more, more worried than she needed to be as a result of that. Mm -hmm. So when we wanted to do a show about Thelma and boys and so forth and dealing with that issue, I remember a, a, uh, a, a day when I said, let's all sit down. And I said, look, I didn't grow up black in America. You guys did that. I don't have the rich patina that you have as black people in this society. 
I leave all that to you. Mm -hmm. But I, I did grow up to be, I was a son, I did grow up to be a father, and an uncle, and a friend, and a male. And I think we all have the same kind of problems. And there are some decisions I'm going to have to make, the buck will stop with me, that may not please you. Uh, and so we made, we did do a show about Thelma, mm -hmm. and it was just fine, but not before I had a really difficult time with Esther, who had that extra weight that... That family represented me and most black people who grew up poor, mm -hmm. but they had so much pride and dignity I think that's what we liked about the show the most. Yeah. Look at the trash that's on television today, where people do anything to make money. But the one thing I respect and admire about you is uh, that that first of all, that was the first father figure for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a chance to meet Mr. Amos one time, and it was like one of the greatest days of my life yeah, to see a strong. Cause like growing up, none of us had fathers. Mm -hmm. And he was such a strong black father. I think that's yeah. one of the reasons we love the show so much. Uh, no, and he was he was he was a great is a great guy. Yeah. How hard? First of all, what made you want? I mean, obviously, you at the top of your profession. What made you want to put minorities on television? You know, when I was a kid. Uh, after 16, I guess, I lived in Connecticut. My parents let, I and mean, I worked my ass off and I made some extra money and so forth. I wanted to go in and watch a matinee in New York City mm -hmm. and come back, go in in the morning on, by train, come back. And uh, they let me do it at a certain time. I paid my own way. But I remember when we, the train used to slip into 125th Street. And the tenements were on the left. I always sat on the left side. Mm -hmm. The tenements were on my left. And they seemed like 20 feet away. And I would, they're largely black families. And I would look at these families. I would see that woman. I would wonder, she has a bureau in that, you know, and there's a, and a favorite drawer, and there's some things in that drawer that are special for her. I remember that particular, and I remember that way of thinking about them. So, over time, those were families I felt I knew. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about that when we did Good Times or the Jeffersons and so forth. But I nonetheless understand it was in my background, mm -hmm. a feeling of familiarity with, those, with their family situations. And, uh, and I, I was a kid of the Depression, so we were broke too. The, the, the conversation around our dinner table was largely what we could afford. Mm -hmm. You know, we had money for one pair of sneakers, was it going to be my sister and me? That kind of thing. I remember sitting on a fire escape on a hot July or August evening, and the conversation for a little while was I can't remember whether a pint or a quart of ice cream was a dime or a quarter <laughs> then. But the question was, should I take the diamond quarter and spend it on ice cream for the family? Mm -hmm. uh, so I don't know. I related to all of that. There was only one black kid in my school at the top of his class, our class. Uh, but 
there was, uh, I didn't have black friends uh, growing up, but those people in those tenements became friends. That's amazing that you didn't, you only had one black person at your school, but you felt a connection to, to take it to the next level. Well, I, there, I do strongly understand our common humanity, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, the wonder, the wonder is how little understanding that is around. How difficult. Or, or how difficult the conversation seems to be. Yeah. Because race is such an uh, uncomfortable situation, which is one of the reasons why we're doing the show. Yeah. How much feedback or blowback that you get when you have wanted to green light these minority com comedies? Uh, nobody ever said, I don't want to, we, we don't want to do a black show or we don't want to see a black family. I mean, nothing like that ever happened. Uh, all in the family, you know, and frankly, I don't remember any blowback about wishing to do, uh, you know, Sanford and Son. I have very little to do with Sanford and Son except to find Red Fox. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it was made on, at NBC on the other side of the hill. Mm -hmm. All my work be, just before that was at CBS on the west side. Uh, when you. What the hell I, boy, I was just oh. going to talk. When, well, like, when you. Like, when I was playing basketball, I didn't realize... You played basketball? Used to. I'm just oh. an old fat guy now. Yeah. When I played <laughs> basketball, and when I traveled out of the country, I said to myself, nobody's going to know who I am in these countries. Then when you get there, everybody knows who you are. Everybody knows The, who the you point are. I'm trying to make is, do you have, have any idea, when you started doing these shows, how monumental, how groundbreaking no. you really were? No. I was I was working my ass off to make a buck for my family. Uh, when I, as a kid of the Depression, the expression, the old folks, my my aunts and uncles, ancient ones, the, mm -hmm. my grandfather's uh, uh, generation, as a good provider, that's the best I can do with a Yiddish accent, <laughs> as a good provider, I wanted to be a good provider. The day I knew that I didn't have to go early to get an airplane yeah. uh, to take out life insurance, uh, you know, uh, air insurance, yeah. uh, if you remember way back then when we did that, uh, the day I realized I didn't have to do that was a day I thought, oh, good provider, I, maybe I scored. No, go ahead. If you okay. have, when you look at television today, what do you think of diversity on television today? Yeah, first of all, I don't see a lot of television. I don't know where the hell my time. Well, I'm doing it. I'm doing a television show now, one day at a time. And you got a, uh, you you changed the characters. Well, it's a Latino family. Yes. The, the the question I was asked wasn't my idea. It was my partner, my friend and partner, Brent Miller, uh, who uh, asked. Would I care to do a, uh, what do I think of a Latino version of One Day at a Time? And I loved it. Wasn't that much Latino. Uh, and I'm remembering 
I don't know, it's 25 years ago, I tried to do a Latino family. I did. Uh, we did about 13 shows mm -hmm. called AKA Pablo with Paul Rodriguez. <laughs> and uh, it didn't work as well as I had hoped it would work, but we didn't get it right. They got it real right. Well, like when you see diversity today, uh, what do you think when you hear like, is there diversity in Hollywood that's on television and in movies? Uh, I don't see, I don't, well, I'm not seeing a, a, enough diversity. Yeah. There isn't enough diversity, A. And B, there is no national conversation about it. I had hoped that eight years with a black president, that he would have stirred up, engineered, been the dad. I wrote him a letter when he took office. Wow. Uh, and said, I'm a good deal older than you are, but I need a dad in the White House. We all need a dad in the White House. Be our father. Help us. Uh, age has no, has no meaning in this conversation. I think he could have talked about race and helped us understand ourselves and each other. Number one, for you to take time to write him a letter, that's really cool. Uh, that's really cool. Well, he was, uh, ours was the first house he was in running for the Senate. Oh, really? The first evening, the very first time he raised money in this town, it was at our home. And I remember I, I was introducing him and I stopped my introduction because I didn't see my son there. He was 15 or so. And uh, I said, please, will somebody get Ben? And when he came down, I said, I, you have to meet this and hear this man because uh, I didn't, I thought maybe he could, but I, I certainly didn't think on the time schedule that it yeah. happened. Yeah. He was ever going to be the president. Yeah. But sometime in the future, this man was going to be very important to us. You know, I'm 50 and you're a little older than me. I have 44 fucking years. <laughs> I love that. So I'm from Alabama. Yeah. I never thought there would be a black president. What did you, did you think in your lifetime there would be a black president? I thought when I met him and, and, and got the cut of his jib, yeah. which is an expression that comes from my father's generation, yeah. uh, that I was looking at somebody that He's special. to go a long way. Uh, I tell people, the first time I met, uh, he was running for Senate. When you meet him, you're like, oh, he's special. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But did I think he could be president? I, you know, I flatter myself to think I might have, but, but I can't be sure. But I wanted my son. I know that. I remember very clearly. He had to meet this man and hear him. You know, one of the things we talk about on this show is I'm trying to bridge the gap between the police and the black community. And one of the things that I, I, I've gotten in trouble for trying to defend the cops, I'm always going to defend the cops. That does not mean they're always right. How minorities are portrayed uh, mm. on television. You know, if you're a Muslim today, you're probably going to be blowing up some stuff if you're in a movie. Uh, if you're black or Hispanic, you're probably going to be a gangbanger or some type of crook. And how do you think the negative stereotypes? Because yeah, but there is no national conversation about that. See, that's where we need help. I, I don't see a Democrat in the Congress 
that's leading that discussion, that's trying to get us talking about that. Mm -hmm. We've got to talk about that or we're never going to get anywhere. There isn't going to be that true feeling of community. It doesn't matter. We're, we're a couple of men, one black, one white. Mm -hmm. I'm glad in this conversation I'm the white guy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been an easier life, I'm sure, than yours. And for blacks everywhere in this country, as I watch life in this country, you know, it is easier to be a white guy, or a white dude, I should say. Why, in your career, that I'm trying to think, all your black characters have always been positive. You look at television today, everybody's kind of just getting exploited to make money. Why, in your history, was it so important for you to portray minorities in a positive light? I'm not sure that I knew I was doing that. I did what I knew to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there wasn't anything we dealt with that wasn't a problem in the family, if it wasn't in, I, in one of the writer's, you know, families. It was up the street, down the street. Every subject we touched was common. Ordinary family stuff. Why nobody else was going to the like abortion? Mm -hmm. It's a subject that comes up all the time in mm -hmm. family life in our country. Uh, I picked that because that was, I guess, the toughest subject of all. But there wasn't anything we didn't do that we did that wasn't common in your life, your experience, and mine. We have the same human experience. What is the what is the role of people on television and in movies as far as social issues? What what is the role? What is what? our role when we when, when we're trying to make a TV show or make a movie? What is our role trying to to to, to make the world a better place? Or are we just trying to make money? Well, I have you know. I was all about making a living. I didn't mind that we were making a great living because we were doing television that paid a lot better than selling shoes. Uh, but the idea was we were, we were all had families and we were making a buck. Mm -hmm. uh, what was on my mind was normal to me. It was we were dealing with problems. I, oh, we could eat, I remember, you know, uh, the roast is ruined, and the boss is coming to dinner. That was a big yeah. problem. Or uh, mom dented a fender, and how do we keep dad from finding out before she can get it fixed? You know, uh, there were thousands of things one could invent if one hadn't lived through like that. Or the the family was talking about. Uh, uh, Mom reaching the point where, you know, uh, I remember Archie standing there saying, "You're, you're, uh, what the hell's the expression when a woman is having, is at that time in life?" Oh, the private little summer. Uh, no. Menopause. Menopause. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you know, you're like change. Yeah. You know, change of life. What what is the expression? Shit. Huh? Change of life. <laughs> so when a woman is is, is at menopause, she's a change of life. Mm -hmm. And I remember Archie standing there saying, I'll give you a 30-second change. 
<laughs> and uh, dealing with that was just more rewarding mm -hmm. because what we knew about it, and uh, I did become, I did come to understand that because people would say to me, "You got a message, pal. You got Western Union. <laughs> you don't use television. You use Western Union." I didn't accept for, for a couple of years that I had uh, a message. Quotes. Uh, and I, at some point, I realized. Wait a second. I was 48 or 49 years old at the time, uh, and I'm a serious man. Yeah, I have something on my mind. I'm a writer. I express what's on my mind. So yeah, I, I accept. Uh, but I don't like the connotation sending a message. Mm -hmm. I'm a writer expressing my views. What is the most uh, out of it? What is your the one thing you did that got the most negative feedback? I got a letter from uh, Jerry Falwell, uh, the moral majority, calling yeah. calling me the number one enemy of the American family in our generation, <laughs> and it caused me death threats. Really, to the point where I had to, or everybody around me felt I had to get some protection. I got you. So I had some security for a while until I realized walking down the street and the guy's five feet behind me, anybody wanted to pick me off from across the street <laughs> or passing by, they got me. Uh, the hell with that. And, and what was his, his message, uh, Farwell's message? Uh, he, the, the, the reason I think at that time, and, and uh, Pat Robertson, who was running for the president yeah. at the time, wrote me a letter, I still have the letter, uh, and in which he said, uh, Norman, your arms are too short to box with God. <laughs> uh, there was a, uh, this is, couldn't be more important, there was a, uh, what the hell was the hour called, a law uh, that made it necessary, if you were mixing politics and religion, and I complained fairly about it, you had to give me equal, the Fairness Doctrine. Mm -hmm. Under the Fairness Doctrine, they had to give me equal time, or us, because it was people from the American way. And, uh, and we caused them to give us equal time, a number of times. That cost them money. And, uh, and that caused them to call me the number one enemy <laughs> of the American family. You know, there's one of the things we talk about is Hollywood racist or Hollywood more concerned about making money? Is that because we're trying to because there's not as much diversity on television. Is, and I say it's easy to say they're racist, but is it really they're just more concerned about the bottom dollar? Well, you've used the expression making money several times. Mm -hmm. So let me deal with that. What is the number one business ethic in our country? I think it is, in corporate America, the need to make a, to have a, a profit statement this quarter larger than the last. True. That is the name of the game in corporate America. A profit statement this quarter larger than the last. That occurs at the expense of every other value. And years and years ago, speaking to the National Education Association, I asked that question. Why aren't we talking about 
it kills the life of the spirit if everything is only about uh, a profit statement this quarter larger than the last. Mm -hmm. And every corporation and every Congress, left or right, seems to subscribe to it. You know, I think the only American leader that I can think of that warned us about where we are today was Dwight David Eisenhower when he, in his farewell address, warned us about the military-industrial, mm -hmm. and in his first draft he called it, called it a military-industrial-congressional complex. I think that chokes us right now. And it's why everything is about short-term gain. Yeah. And we're raising generations of kids, uh, and I think I read this a great deal about the millennials, they're interested in Wall Street, they're interested in a fast buck, because they've been educated that way. It's what the country seems to be all about. We've been brainwashed just to think about money, where your next bucks come from. What would, if, if you could give us some advice about how to make Hollywood more diverse, uh, what, would, what, what would be your advice? How to make it, it would be don't stop kicking that can down the road. I mean, mm -hmm. don't stop doing what you're doing and, and, and get more of me and my life, you know. That my, you know, the fact of my life is I've never been arrested. I ask myself this all the time. How come I got this big reputation for being a good guy and caring and, you know, uh, and I've never been arrested? And I'm looking forward to getting arrested. Listen, as a man who's been arrested, it's not the most comfortable thing. No, I understand. I mean, you're little to me, so the bed will probably be comfortable for you, but the bed is hard and uncomfortable. I just want to tell you this. Can I, can I tell you, because I'm reminded of sure. this. Sure. Uh, I flew in the World War II in a B-17. And uh, a couple of years ago, uh, they, I don't know who's in the Air Force, someplace, they learned that there was a Tuskegee Airman mm -hmm. who flew the last, the, the, the longest mission in the European theater, which I flew in my bomb group. And this guy flew uh, uh, in a P-51 protection. So we flew the same mission. His name was Roscoe Brown. I don't know if you ran into him. He was a president of a university in New York State and uh, Dr. Roscoe Brown, great guy. We led the, the, uh, the uh, Veterans Day Parade two years ago. This guy who flew escort for my crew and that, I'm just reminded in this conversation that it has nothing to do, maybe you can find a question that gets me to say this. <laughs> I'd love to hear your thought though, because the main thing that we, that we've <laughs> Is why is Hollywood so white? After all these years after Good Times and the Jeffersons, there's still not a lot of. Uh, because we haven't had enough conversation. We haven't had enough conversation about the race issue. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why I had hoped that uh, Barack Obama would lead us in, in that discussion. But I think there was a twelve. There's a twelve-year-old kid in me. Uh, I'm Jewish. I learned that people hated me for being Jewish 
within a, a year of my father being hauled off. He went to prison when I was 12 years old. And uh, so I was without a dad, and we were broke, and I was living with an uncle and then another uncle, and they didn't understand what the hell I was going through. Mm -hmm. uh, but, oh God, I'm in a dozen places, but I remember we had civics classes when I was a boy. So I knew there was a, a, a Bill of Rights and a First Amendment and a, and, and a promise that everybody would be equal under the law equal opportunity, equal justice under the law. We can't all run the same, we can't all play basketball, we can't all look great. We can all be treated the same. But we will be treated the same under the law. And uh, that meant everything in the world to me when I was a kid. But race, first of all, I love you. I do agree, we need uh, talk about it, need a nationwide conversation. But race is such an uncomfortable subject. Uh, it's because People have to admit that racism exists, uh, anti-Semitism exists, racism exists as, uh, against Hispanics, there's racism, but it's such an uncomfortable subject. It is an uncomfortable subject. I mean, I'm too aware of that you're black. Mm -hmm. Too fucking aware of it. I have, uh, my oldest daughter's 70. My youngest, by the way, are 21. My, my oh my goodness. And, uh, but my oldest daughter, when she was 12, 13, was raving about this art teacher she had. Just couldn't stop talking about it. There was an evening when the parents got together at the school with the, uh, with, the, with the teachers, and I met the teacher for the first time. And I was shocked that she was black, because it never occurred to my 12-year-old to, to say she was black, ever. Never forgot that moment. And my, I'm too aware, of course you were coming to talk race anyway, but I'm more aware than that generation is mm -hmm. of who's white, who's black, who's this, who's that. Uh, because culturally that's the generation I grew up in. Well, I'm still trying to get a show on the air about uh, older generations. Mm -hmm. I call it Guess Who Died? Because, <laughs> because that's a daily question. Guess who died? Yeah. Uh, and I want to do a story and, and with a bunch of people in a retirement village, where they're on golf courts and they're on a golf course and they're uh, and they're dancing their asses off. But it's not our demographic, is what I keep hearing. Mm -hmm. So, so they don't think older people watch television. They don't, and they and. And they do probably more than any other generation. Because we hear that all the time at work. Like, we're only concerned with the 25 to 30, uh, 20, yeah. 21 yeah. to 35. Like, people die at 35, they don't go on to keep watching television. <laughs> but when you, uh, well, let me ask you this question, because this has always been a pet peeve of mine. Do you believe in the rating system? I believe that the advertisers have got to pay attention to how many people were, should they be spending the money here or spending the money there, business. It, there's, I understand the mm -hmm. need for, but carrying it too far is something else. Mm -hmm. You know, six letters that complain, they come to one guy who says, who was annoyed by it and says to some executive that works for him, you know, why are we getting this mail? And it could be six letters or 60 letters out of millions. And that guy takes it, not 
the, it isn't the six, it's that the boss said he doesn't want to see this anymore. And by the time it gets to people who are dealing with it, they're saying you can't do that. No, what, what, what happened with, with the black shows I did, I used to think of uh, uh, B players or you know, people who were not the leads on the show mm -hmm. were in the, were in the uh, Bush League. So I had an Estherol in the Bush League. Mm -hmm. She was great, great. So I introduced a, a, a husband who came to pick her up one day on Maud. She was Maud's maid. And the husband was John Amos. He came to pick her up one day. Now the network saw a black and, the, and uh, a couple that they could believe in. They could see an audience react. And, and I said, let's do, or maybe they even came up with the idea. And we called it Good Times. The Jeffersons, I moved in next to uh, Archie Bunker because I knew there'd be some great conflict and a lot of stories to tell and mm -hmm. deal with the racial attitudes and so forth. And uh, it took me, I, 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 I had an uncle on any number of shows before I remembered Sherman Hemsley and cast him as the husband. We called the guy, I needed a, a male uh, uh, a senior. We called him an uncle. I forget the actor's name, until we thought of... But th that's the way those shows were built out in our company. There was an audience appetite for them before they got their own shows. Do you... I don't know if it's true, but... I, but I, why am I able to ask you some questions? You can ask me anything you want to, but I want to ask you this one question because it's important. My first recollection of an interracial couple was on the Jeffersons. That was a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, how did you come to... I mean, th that was a big deal. How did you come to that conclusion that you want to put an interracial couple in that time on television? Because I knew interracial couples, and I wanted, you know, it was, it was fresh, it was new. I remember casting Roxy Roker, who was the uh, woman, of course. I said to her, Roxy, I, I, I wanted her for the role, but before I said, you got it, I said, Roxy, uh, this is an interracial couple. I don't know whether we'll wind up doing a show in their apartment. Uh, but I'm not going to be afraid of putting them in the same bed. If they kiss, they're going to kiss on the mouth. This hasn't happened before. Wow. Uh, and you have to be, and I, we all have to be ready for what, I don't know what will occur. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I said, is that all right with you? And she stopped for a second. She said, let me answer the question this way. And she reached into her purse and she took out a picture of she and her husband. And he was white. <laughs> <laughs> but but you did expect some blowback on that. Oh yes, I mean I read my newspapers. I knew that I know the culture I live in, of yeah. course. But I but but we were living with it. Yeah. You know. How did you get to the point? You talk about growing up. How did you get to the point where you're so selfless? Because it, you, you, you've said some things to me today that, like, you just want to make the world a better place. How did you get to that point? How could, how could we not all wish to do that? Yeah. 
I mean, isn't that what it's supposed to be about? It is, but you said something earlier, too, because we're brainwashed. Like, when I go speak to kids, all they, all they want to know is how much money you make, how big your house is, how big your car is. We're kind of brainwashed by society. Like, we don't want you to be a secretary. Like, like what's wrong with being a secretary? We don't want you to be a trash man. You can be a great trash man. But the, the society we live in, mm. you seem to been able to be at peace with yourself. I'm... I'm not altogether at peace. I'm not satisfied with myself. I think I'm... I, uh, I'm happy with who I've been, and, but I ask myself all the time. When I say I, that wasn't an aimless, uh, you know, when I said I've never been arrested, I think about that. Mm-hmm. How the fuck does this happen that I wasn't arrested? Well, I met, uh, spent a little time with John Lewis just a, a week ago, or maybe a few, uh, shorter than that, at uh, Shonda Rhimes. And uh, I, I ask myself all the time, how come I wasn't in that march? Mm. I tell myself, well, that's when I was working my heart out trying to get where I, be, where I, I got mm-hmm. with two kids in, in my life and, and one on the way. And, you know. uh, but I'm not satisfied that I did everything I could. Yeah, you know what? I don't think... Anybody, and I'm only speaking for myself, I don't think any person is ever completely satisfied. But I just want to tell you, what you did for me is important and significant. I'm so glad that I got a chance to meet you and thank you personally because I, I get so, one of the things we talk about on this show is there's such a negative portrayal mm-hmm. of minorities on television. I worry about young black kids we, we, television is so powerful, but if you go back and look at your history, I, I, I'm pretty sure uh, George Jefferson was the first black man who owned a business. I mean, you think about that. A black man who owned mm-hmm. a business, that's pretty impressive. If you look at uh, the Jefferson also, first interracial couple. Right. I just have to interrupt and say, Russell Simmons said one evening when I was I was center of a big panel about mm-hmm. race and so forth, and he said uh, when he watched the Jeffersons, he saw it, uh, he was nine or something. He saw George Jefferson write a check, and he blew his mind. He didn't know that a black man could write a check. Mm-hmm. But that's how important get, you never are. Never got over that. But think about it. As a kid who grew up in the project, my mom was a maid. Uh, my grandmother was a meat worked uh, in the meat packing factory. I had three brothers. Uh, uh, four, it's four total. Three, of, uh, two of my brothers have passed away, but like, good times was our life. Good times were our life, but the pride and dignity that they had, the Evanses had, was amazing. I mean, uh, jo- uh, James Evans was a strong, amazing father figure. Mm-hmm. And that was my first, uh, like my dad wasn't there, but to have a-, a mother and a father who was so strong, taught their kids the right way to do things. Uh, you're an important figure. Uh, I really mean oh, that. I love hearing it. Yeah, I no. mean, I love hearing it. I- 
it wasn't what it was all about. But, yeah, but, but you, you did your him. part. That's all you can do is your part. How do you feel about JJ? Uh, JJ is like me. He's a silly fool. But you love JJ. He's <laughs> like me too. Uh, yeah, I mean, like JJ is the thing. I like, he's a typical young kid who, when you're in school like that, you're just trying to have fun. And then I love the fact that Michael was really smart uh, because that was important. You had one silly guy, but you had one guy who was really smart, and then you had Thelma who was just hot. Every guy loved her. Uh, she was the black. I call we call she's the black Farrell Fawcett. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to have that, and, uh, to have those positive black role models growing up, uh, it was you did an um, amazing job. They did an amazing job. I, I think first there has to be a conversation, yeah. national conversation, about who we really are as human beings. And uh, I mean, people like me have got to say, I was born in my generation. Mm-hmm. I can't. You know, I grew up afraid of being uh, Jewish because I saw so much pain out there involving Jewish people and the Holocaust and all that shit. And I learned I had it far better than the average black person growing up in this country because I read and I, I saw and I... but. Uh, the fact of life in Hollywood is I don't see that many families who have close black friends. Close black friends. Mm -hmm. I see I've got a long history with Quincy. Mm -hmm. We're great friends. Uh, But we're great friends in a special evening at his house, Mm -hmm. a special evening at my house. Not he and his kids and me and my kids play together all the time somewhere when our kids were very young kind of like the movie uh one of my favorite movies because it's a very great depiction about race in america with sam jackson and matthew mcconaughey and he says we're friends he says we're not friends what's what's my wife's name what's my kid's name he says you're nice to me when we see each other but are we really friends? And it was very profound. It made me look at different friends of mine. Like, dude, I want to know your family. So you can ask me anything you want to. Why you never did a basketball show with me? (laughs) I never did a basketball show. Okay. If I had done a basketball show, it would have been with you. (laughs) So you can ask me anything you want to. What was it like to be nine years old and black? And did you have white friends then? You know, I was one of the first kids to integrate the schools. Uh, being from Alabama, first of all, I grew up, the, the, year the, the year they bombed the church was my first year of life. And my grandmother was the greatest person ever in my life. She talked about Dr. Mm-hmm. King all the time. And then when I started getting older, I was like, wow, Dr. King. She talked about uh, Malcolm X. She talked about Mega Evers. Uh, she talked about Nelson Mandela. And the first, my first hero was Muhammad Ali. And it, it, but, you know, when you start growing up and learning, like, man, it's different. uh, It was tough. Uh, But like I say, I think it was more tough because we were poor. Because, like, I, I, I didn't see a lot of overt racism. I see more today 
that I did growing up in a small town in Alabama. Really? But it's important for me, when I, when I decided to do this show with my friends to do the You're Crazy, because they, mm-hmm. they, it's a tough subject, but I'm trying to start that conversation and debate that you're talking about. Because mm-hmm. like I say, the year I was born was the church bombing. And now 54 years later, we're still arguing over the same crap, and that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Um, Mr. Lear, they, they want you to mention your podcast. So wait, but, you got I'm a sorry, podcast. Yeah, uh, yeah, no, I'm doing a podcast. I'm doing the sixth or seventh one the, uh, in a little while. I go up to Maple at this office, and they've got a whole setup for a podcast. And uh, I'm doing uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus today. I just met her last week for the first time. Yeah. We, uh, it, it was interesting. I, I, we were just She was having a, uh, a little sit-down with drink with a friend, and I was at the same hotel. And I said, like... She, I got to say hello. But you were at the same hotel? As, yes. Uh, they we were, they let was, you in? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, it was in New York. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I was up there for March Madness. Uh-huh. And I had to say hello to her. And I did. She was very nice. So please tell her I said hello. I will do that. Yeah, it was, but, so, but didn't you, weren't you a kid with, with colored only signs? Uh, or was that preceding you? That's like, it was happening right when I was a little kid, but I really wasn't going to school yet. It, it was right during that time, uh-huh. but I wasn't in school yet. When it, it, I was born then, obviously, but like before I started school, everything changed. So you didn't grow up in that situation? Yeah, no, sir. Yeah. Mr. Lear, two quick ones, and then we're going to let you go. But one is at 94, why, why do you need to do a podcast? You just haven't done enough yet? I hadn't done, I don't understand, hadn't done enough yet. Tomorrow is a brand new day. I mean, this is a brand new minute. Do you think working all the time keeps you young? I think about it this way. I met Charles Barkley today. It took me 94 fucking years. (laughs) 94 years, a bunch of months, days, weeks, hours, just to point my finger and it's pointed at Charles. It took me every split second wow. to get to this second where you said, wow. Now, I'm just telling you, this is one of the coolest things. When we first said we were going to sit down with you, I says, because I said, I, I, I was explaining earlier, you're part of my childhood, and I right. can't thank you enough because you gave me a face to look at. Because I was telling somebody that, and I mean no disrespect to these other people, uh, I've never watched Friends. I've never watched Seinfeld. They're great shows. Mm-hmm. They're great shows. But, like, I never miss an episode of The Jeffersons, Good Times, or Sanford and Son. Like, those, like, and like I say, those shows might be great, but unless you see somebody who looked like you, you're not going to mm-hmm. watch the shows. So that's why you are a very... So isn't that interesting about the human condition? What you just said. What you just said is it's an expression of a kind of native racism. Yes. And, 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 and that's unfortunate. And it's native to the human condition. Yes. Which means we have to embrace it. We have to understand it's there. We have to live with it. I don't like the word tolerate it. 
Mm-hmm. We have to accept our differences and not tolerate. That's, I think, I hate that. We have to accept that this, it goes that way. Well, I want to tell you something. Thank you for taking time. Oh, you are No, welcome. thank you. Really appreciate it. That's a huge hand compared to this little white one. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I know, I've loved this. Thank no, you. I know, I really appreciate you taking thank time. You. And Man, I meant sincerely, you're part of my childhood, and I can't thank you enough. Okay. Well, you're part of my uh, life also. A few pounds you know? ago, though. Yeah, <laughs> watching guys your size running up and down that friggin' court, the, it's impossible. Amazing. Well, you know, I love Kenya Barris. We're mm-hmm. good friends. And, uh, and Carmichael, you, you must have talked to these guys. Uh, you know, Kenya, uh, he does blackish, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, first of all, I watched that last night. Uh, I have, just think the show is amazing. Uh, I love the show. I do too. Yeah. I think it's great, and they're carrying on in that tradition. Right. And Carmichael too. He's got a lot on his mind. This young man. What what final bit of advice can you give all of us going forward? Just about where where the country needs to go, or television, or entertainment. So I talk about uh, two little words that we don't we we don't relate to the importance of these two little words and they are over and next when something is over it is over and we are on to next and i think about if there was a hammock in the middle between those two words that would be the best way of expressing living in the moment so this moment couldn't be more precious because it took me every split second to get here and this interview is going to be over, and we're each of us on to next, but I will never forget the moment I lived in here. Thank you. Thank you very much. You are welcome very much. Wow. Thank you, sir. To be continued. To be I, continued. I, that's my favorite expression. To be continued. In the English language, and it's going to grow on you. What does it mean, this life, this day and night? And you say, Come here and rest your head Everything's alright and life is good In space and time Give me some of yours Have some of mine And life is good In space and time Give me some of yours I'll give you some of mine